0: Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Well, this morning we're continuing in our study of 1 Peter. And uh, 1 Peter is an awesome book, and it's an awesome letter written to the first century church. But in God's intention, it is written to us as well. It's an important book because we hear from Peter, and Peter didn't write a lot of the New Testament, but wrote these two smaller, shorter epistles at the back of the New Testament. But we do know a lot about Peter in his life through reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know that there were a lot of ups and downs in Peter's life, and that his words, therefore, carry great weight for us who are Christians, who feel the ups and downs of the Christian life. There have been times when we have failed and we've fallen short. And Peter has been in places of failure and falling short and gives forth the hope and the expectation and the the grace and the message of forgiveness in those situations. And then also he has... Learn to be shaped and molded by the Spirit of God and the Word of God and to honor God with His life. And that's an encouragement for all of us for we should long to do that. And as we know Christ, we want to know Him and be His. And Peter demonstrates that in his life. And so as we hear these words from Peter, I hope that they're encouraging to us and build us up and strengthen us. We're going to turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're reading 1 through 6, a small section of this letter. It is the concluding section of uh, Peter's letter that really is talking about suffering, suffering for doing good, suffering in our lives, and Peter continues on this topic and As the songs reflected, as we talked about uh, wine, as the grapes are pressed, uh, I think that good comes from those places of suffering. So let's read 1 through 6. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust, drunkenness, uh, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse upon you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Well, let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we ask you to open our minds, our hearts, give us understanding, be our teacher by your Holy Spirit. May you speak to us. May we humbly seek to know your truth and your word and your direction for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. In recent days, uh, uh, my daughter has got me hooked on podcasts. Now, I know that podcasts is kind of old, I guess. Uh, I was kind of slow to the game, and, you know, and, and so I'm a little behind the eight ball. Uh, but podcasts uh, are an opportunity to listen to discussions or uh, stories in a shorter fashion that usually encapsulate the a book or something like that. So it's wonderful. I don't have to read the book. I can just listen to the podcast. Uh, as long as it's not something super important. So I have started listening to several. And now I, I know that there has to be a warning that I don't, I'm not attached to my phone so much that that's all I do is, you know, that we've got to be careful of that. So carve out a little time in your life and don't let it overrun your life. And you can listen to some podcasts and they're rather interesting. And I've been listening to espionage. Now, Espionage is this podcast that tells about stories of people who were spies, undercover agents. Some of them were just spies, some of them were double agents, and some are even triple agents, which is crazy. But it tells the story of how they impacted world history. And so usually the spy stories are fairly significant. And I heard about this one, Virginia Hall. I don't know if you've ever heard of Virginia Hall. I never have. you You might be you're probably a lot smarter than me. Uh, but Virginia Hall was was probably one of the most significant spies in World War II, and she uh, was a, a spy undercover spy for Britain. In World War II, she built one of the most extensive spy networks ever to be built in World War II. The interesting things about her was that she was a woman and she was disabled. Now, they never had spies that were women, and they certainly never had spies that were disabled, and so Virginia Hall is actually born and raised in America, in Baltimore, And uh, she wanted to get into working as an undercover agent, and she thought her best bet was to go to Poland, and so she went to Poland and worked as a desk clerk in uh, one of the government agencies trying to make connections, and while she was doing that, she went out hunting for pheasant or birds in Turkey and accidentally shot herself in the foot and uh, they had to amputate her leg from the knee down, and that's how she became uh, an invalid or uh, disabled. And uh, she had a prosthetic put on, and of course that really just discounted her from ever being in the sky- uh, spy business. But when Germany started to gain you know, power and influence, and Hitler was kind of being seen as a threat she quit her job in Poland and moved to France because she thought that would be the best place that she could actually be of some good. And while she was in France, and this was before Germany took over France, she asked in a petition to the, the British government, they didn't have many spies, and they certainly were suspicious of a woman who was a spy and suspicious of someone who was disabled who was a spy, but they went ahead and signed her up. And she built, like I said, such an extensive network. She communicated everything. She used every relationship, every interaction, every moment of every day to work diligently for the Britain, for the Kingdom of Britain against Hitler and the Germans. And she did it so much so that when Germany finally came into France, she had to escape. At the late in the night, I um, just barely escaped. But they put posters up everywhere. They had banners. It was everything. She was the most wanted person by the Gestapo. They wanted to find her because she had been giving all their secrets, and they were having such difficulty with her. She did march out of France through the Pyrenees mountains, seven thousand five hundred feet went over those mountains into Spain and was able to escape. Many in her spy network were captured and killed by the Germans. I bring this up because it's fascinating that she was so determined. She was so determined to stand for a kingdom that she believed was in the right For Britain, she was an American. She inevitably ended up working for the American Secret Service. But she felt that Germany was the greatest threat on the planet. And indeed, I think we would not disagree with her today. But what is fascinating about her is how she was able to see that she needed to be engaged. She took every opportunity she had to fight against the German government. She was on the front line. She put herself into the battle. And in some ways, I think, as Peter is writing to the first century church and writing to us, as he's describing what is happening in our world, as he's describing the kingdom of God And the work of Christ in developing and and redeeming a people for himself and establishing and building the kingdom of Christ in this world. Part of the mission, part of the call, is that we as believers who trust in Jesus would be part of that kingdom building. That we would be participants. Now Virginia Hall was doing that with total dedication she was on the front line she was fully involved and it was an important kingdom and it was an important battle but we as believers who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus you remember I think one of the reasons Peter is giving us instruction as to how we are to live and giving us strong encouragement to do certain things in this part of the book, which is the second part of the book, is because of all that we've received as believers in Christ that he's told us about in the first part of the book. We have become a people with an inheritance. We have been given a treasured possession in the kingdom of Christ. We have been brought into that kingdom. We are a part of the people of God that God is developing down through the Old Testament. Since the fall, God has determined to bring a people to himself that will receive his grace and his life. His kingdom is taking back this kingdom of the world that was lost to Satan, but now is being restored and redeemed by God's work, and that work is happening in and through his people, and we have to get a hold of that picture and that imagery and understand who we are, what our place is in this kingdom, and that's why we come together and we read the scriptures, that's why we worship together, that's why we pray together. That's why we fellowship together, because we are a part of a kingdom that is growing in this world, and this world is standing against that kingdom. But we're not called to fight them with bombs and guns. We're called to fight them with grace and love and truth that we find in Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants that kingdom to explode in us, his people. He wants us to be participants on the front line. And I'm afraid too many times we're standing around waiting for God to do his thing when his thing is really to be done through us. And Peter is writing to these first century Christians who are discouraged and disheartened because. They are experiencing temptations, uh, no, tribulations and afflictions because of their trust in Christ. And they're losing their jobs. There's pressure from the people around them and even uh, disappointment and antagonism from old friends, old acquaintances. We get into those kinds of situations because we're a strange breed. We're exiles. We're sojourners in a foreign land. And it's common for us to experience not being on the exact same page with everybody around us in the world. That's part of what gives us some concern when we're going back to school, when they are starting classes, when we're taking on new jobs, when things are happening. Because those are all opportunities where we might feel some pressure, some pushback, some suffering, some affliction. And these Christians were experiencing that too. And so Peter writes to set their minds straight. And so as I have titled this sermon, Leaning into Suffering, I think it's important that we understand that Peter is writing to these Christians in the first century and to us in this century, in this day to have the right kind of approach because we want to understand what God's doing in his kingdom. We're participants in that kingdom. We want to get on the front line. We want to let God use us as his people because we're convinced that Jesus has made the difference in our life. That's one thing different about us and Virginia Hall. Virginia Hall was doing her work for the kingdom of Britain as a human. And it's brilliant. It's amazing that she did what she did on her own determination. But we must use our determination in Christ's kingdom. But we're not resting on that determination. We're resting on the truth of the gospel. That Jesus has done something new in us. He has changed us. He's made us his people. He's opened our eyes to the wonder of the gospel. And therefore we from within long to live for what is right and what is good. Glorious and what is forever, and that is Christ's kingdom and his reign and his rule in our hearts and lives. That's what Peter's talking about when he's talking about the first Peter here in this section. So, there are three mindsets that I think we should have. First, we must arm ourselves with the mindset of suffering now. Peter is clearly telling us to arm ourselves with the mindset of suffering, though most of us don't usually look at suffering that way. We're doing everything we can to avoid suffering. Uh, This seems really countercultural. But Peter is saying, arm yourselves with the mindset of suffering. That means that we are in a battle. There is suffering going on. There is conflict in this world and in this day. And as these readers in the first century were experiencing suffering, we experience suffering. Now, I know that this runs counter to we have to be careful. When we communicate the gospel, because we're not saying that coming to Jesus means that everything is hunky-dory, that, uh, that everything is uh, cookies and cream, that, uh, that once you come to Christ and everything smooths out, you're blessed in your health, you're blessed in your finances, everything's a blessing. That's not the case. What happens is that we are a part of a kingdom that is invading this world really recapturing this world because it is God's world to begin with and that brings us oftentimes into conflict and it is a broken world we're not taken to the kingdom of Christ just yet though that is our hope and so as we live in this world we will experience suffering now we're not to go after suffering we're not supposed to look for suffering But when suffering comes, and we can and should be assured that suffering comes, this is not just easy street. Because suffering is, in God's design, good for us. It is, in God's design, the way to take a broken world and turn it upside down. And how does Peter tell us to have this mindset? Notice. In verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, how do we have a mindset of suffering? We have a mindset of suffering by emulating our Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world not to avoid suffering, not to live on easy street, but to realize that there is a battle going on, there is conflict, there are pains to be suffered. And he gave of himself unto suffering, unto death, in order to turn it upside down. And the reality is that this was the pattern of Jesus' life. And oftentimes, it's the pattern of our lives. Some of the most significant, most important changes and transformations of faith and trust and obedience happen in our lives in the moments of suffering. Whether that suffering is from people who stand against us or seek to hurt us or criticize us because we're followers of Jesus, or whether that just happens because life happens and diseases happen and we're in a broken world and the inevitable end of our world is that we will die unless Jesus comes again. All of that is ramifications of sin and brokenness. But the hope of the gospel is that those things are turned upside down. And how are they turned upside down? By Jesus' suffering and death. And therefore, we are to arm ourselves with the same attitude. Don't think that we need to avoid suffering. When we have broken relationships that are painful and hard don't think that that's God's plan and purpose for us is just get out of it and just avoid suffering. No. Oftentimes it is to enter into that suffering. When we have pains and sufferings from sickness and disease we work against them for sure but as we're in those places don't think that God is not doing something there. Like I've said many times, the the hardest, most uh, difficult times in my life were when family members were suffering. And it was also the most important time for me to learn what it is to lean into God in the midst of that suffering. And so Peter is saying, arm yourselves. That language is of a battle we're in the battlefield we need to arm ourselves one of the things we have to say is how do we arm ourselves how do i prepare to suffer well is it just hope that i'll you know know that it's coming and then hopefully that'll do it no it it is what i think peter is pointing us to therefore since christ suffered in the body We need to pursue Christ. We need to know Christ. We need to understand Him and His walk of suffering. And it's not just a casual, oh yeah, I've read that story before. No, it is to identify with Christ, realize that one of the purposes and plans of the gospel is that Christ's life, Christ's presence by the Holy Spirit lives in me and that I enter into what it means to walk with Christ and have Christ walk in me. I do that by spending time in God's Word and drawing near to Him, knowing that my life is not my own. I trust Him to live through me. I spend time in prayer. We, we seek God in His heart and His desires and His passions. We meet together and we worship together. As we worship and as we sing, we're lifted up into the glorious presence of God. And those things change us. I would say there's even more. There's many things we do. Fasting and, and times of deep fellowship, solitude, all of these things push us to know Christ and to know Him in a way that He can live His life through us. And and in that way, we are arming ourselves to handle, experience suffering in a way that honors God. Now there are some tricky things in this passage under this first verse. We must arm ourselves in the midst of suffering. And I put a put a a phrase on here that I didn't put on there as a path to rejecting sin. Notice that last little phrase. It's a little confusing. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Just let me try to explain that what I think it means. There are a lot of different uh, interpretations What I think this means is that when we encounter suffering, and as we think about life change and having a new school year and entering new situations, maybe teaching new classes, working with new people on the job, as we encounter the sufferings and the difficulties and the fears of those moments, we can commit ourselves to Christ, and completely trust Him in the moment. Even when bad things take place, we stand, lean into those things to trust that God is designing and directing my life. And we've therefore chosen the path away from sin. The other path is when sufferings come, I began to try to manage it and to take care of it. Maybe I uh, do some diversion tactics against somebody or in a certain situation. Or I get bitter and hurtful in the midst of maybe a hard situation with disease or, uh, uh, you know, struggles with my physical life. And that is choosing the path of sin. What he's saying is arm yourself with an attitude of suffering and thereby choose the path that God has given to us to stand in the midst of that suffering. Couldn't, don't you think that Peter understood this better than anyone? Because if you think about all the times that he spent with Jesus, and Jesus was seeking to correct Peter and draw Peter out, and sometimes Peter was really strong and going forward, and other times he didn't understand, and often sometimes he found himself in conflict with Jesus personally. And then that one high point, low point, when Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. He said, absolutely not. I'll take any amount of suffering. I will die with you before I deny you three times. And then the circumstances came. And Peter denied the Lord three times. What was driving that denial? Protection. (laughs) Protection. Safety and not wanting to suffer. Because if he would have said, Yes, I'm one of him, they'll take him to the cross right alongside Jesus. And so when Peter says, Arm yourself with the same attitude, arm yourself to suffer, he's saying, Choose the road of suffering. Because it is in opposition to sin and self-protection and selfishness and your own agendas and your managing your life and your situation. It is in the midst of suffering, I'm going to lean in and trust that God is directing and guiding and, and governing my life. And in the midst of that suffering, I will trust God. I think that's part of the battle. I think of Virginia Hall in this case who, when she was a spy in France, the, they said there were Gestapo agents everywhere. And she had to a, an, analyze and assess every single relationship, every single person that was around her, because she was in grave danger all the time. She took edphetamines just to stay up all night, many times, just to make sure that she was doing what she had to do in protecting herself. But she carried around a hard-shell cyanide pill so that if she ever was caught, she could take that and be done with her life so that she wouldn't compromise the mission. When we're in those hard places, have we given ourselves to Christ to such a degree that we are armed to suffer for the gospel? Because we're trusting ourselves to God. Trusting that He is governing every circumstance and every relationship of my life. And I know that I can believe in Him. Stand secure in Him. Even in the midst of suffering. And express my hope, my confidence, my trust in who He is. That is what it means to be done with sin doesn't mean that we never sin, we're never failing. It does mean that we're on the road, the right road, in surrendering our lives to Christ in the midst of suffering. So, I think that's a good place to end. I didn't get to finish my other two points, but just let me say them really quick. The second is to have the mindset to stay on the right path. Verses 2-4 through talk about this contrast between earthly desires and a desire to do the will of God. If we're going to have a mindset that Peter is encouraging, that we stay faithful to the Lord and we're an agent of the kingdom of Christ, we have to have a mindset to do the will of God, to stay on the path. And this is in opposition to our earthly passions, our sinful desires. As Peter mentions over and over, in chapter 1, verse 14 through 15, and chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. Lastly, we must have the mindset of living in light of God's judgment and salvation. Verse 5 and 6, kind of a tough verse. It is in 5 and 6 that, I don't know if you ever read... William Barclay, the famous New Testament scholar, kind of daily Bible study commentaries, and very well known. Uh, I've read many things that have been great instruction, but also there are a couple of points where his belief that everyone's saved and that you have a, a chance of salvation after you die and that he's kind of a universalist. Sometimes you run into that in William Barclay. And this verse gives rise to that for William Barclay. And you can, as we read it, you can see how it's difficult. Verse 5 and 6 says, "...but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body." but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. What it's saying, what Peter is saying is that on the earthly plane, according to the body, we do experience death. And death will come to all of us because that is a ramification of sin. But the Spirit of God, through the work of Christ on the cross, turns that upside down, And it doesn't have a hold on us who believe. So verse 6 is saying, in essence, for this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, those who have believed in the good news of God's salvation. That's not necessarily just New Testament believers, but that's all the way back, all of the saints, down through the ages, where God has met them and brought deliverance and grace and forgiveness because of the promise of God to restore to himself a people. And because of that... We as believers, many who have gone before us, have died because that is the the result of sin in the body. But be assured that they will live a new life and that they are in the presence of God and they're anticipating the coming of the kingdom of Christ at the end. And that kingdom will be glorious and be forever and Christ will reign there. And we should have the mindset of judging our present circumstances in light of that glorious end. Therefore, we can arm ourselves with suffering We can stand in the midst of the difficulties and trials of our everyday life because we believe that Jesus has a plan and a purpose. He has given new life to us in our hearts through our faith in Christ. And that new life can spring forth and be shown in everything we do, in every relationship we have, in every interaction, in every effort, every ministry, every service. We should live as agents of the kingdom of Christ. And we live these moments in light of a glorious kingdom where we will live and reign with Christ forever. That is our hope. And it is a hope that is sure. It is a hope that is unshakable. It is what Peter is writing to this young church who is struggling. And it's what Peter would say to you and me if we're struggling here today. And I think we're always struggling. We're in this difficult battle. We should be reminded the kingdom of Christ is coming. God will judge the alive the and the dead. And that his judgment will be true and right. And that he is redeeming a people for himself. And if we have th- found life in Christ, if we have trusted Christ, we are a part of that kingdom. Live every moment in light of our glorious end. Let's pray together. Our Father, the kingdom of Christ you are building is advancing. It is growing. It is strengthening. Lord, you are making it a reality. And Lord, we celebrate the glory that we have been brought into because of the work of Christ on the cross. And because of the kingdom life that he's given us through His Spirit in the hearts of all of us. We can face this world. We can be your agents of grace. We can live kingdom lives before the world around us. And as we face challenges, as new things come up in our lives on the horizon, Lord, help us never forget who we are and where we're headed. That we might be a picture of your grace and your love in everything we do. In Jesus' name. Amen.